Hello and welcome to the Deepment Report, the digital electronic world point report. And today I'll be talking about the recent State of the Union address. It's so interesting that no one truly referred to it as a State of the Union address. Things do have a way of changing, don't they? But it's also interesting, and I would venture to say, if it isn't going to be called the State of the Union anymore, it really shouldn't be called the Joint Sessions of Congress. And I'll tell you why. This was the first time that uh, Congress, in and of itself, was actually meeting in a hybrid fashion. Some members of Congress were meeting in their home districts, logging in from their home districts, while other members of Congress were in person in chambers. Of course, for various reasons, one reason being that the events that transpired on January 6th changed the protocols of how Congress meets in full session. That's one. The second is because of COVID-19 protocols, everyone who was in the chamber had been fully tested and cleared as COVID-free. And so in the most unusual times that we live in, the circumstances were seemingly unusual. So I say again, many were logged in from home districts, as this was the first dual session, dual being D-U-A-L, session of Congress that was attended in person by individuals that had been cleared as COVID-free. In the history of the country, never had the health protocols been as they are today. And even during the times of the 1917 Spanish flu, protocols were much different then. The world has learned so much in regards to keeping each other alive through preventive measures and vaccinations, genome sequencing, mRNA, antibody maturation, and variants. But certainly, last night was unique in many ways, many ways. Never had there been an opening speech that said clearly a welcoming to Madam Speaker and Madam Vice President. That was historic. Certainly it was. That's how it opened. But also, that I'm aware of, and you certainly can correct me if I am not correct, I had never heard a speech from a president where a president took a moment and said, I'd like a point of personal privilege. And that is truly telling of the fact that our current president has a true understanding of the parliamentary process. Because, of course, he has participated in the process itself for so many years, so he understands it quite clearly. 
but also one can see and understand that we live in unique times, unique moments in history. Because, and I'll tell you this, the recent decision by the Supreme Court in favor of Google Alphabet, which is also named by, that their code, which was changed, and they claim it to be original enough, from the originating Oracle code, was truly original enough, and was not actually only Oracle code, and could be considered to be truly owned by Google. So this long-standing fight about what is truly intellectual property, and as I was reading the article, the comparison to tomato sauce or pizza sauce and where something originates from and how many times it can be chained before it actually is no longer the original recipe was quite interesting because when something is considered genetically modified, we really bring in the question of where did it originally originate from? And then when does it become genetically modified? Now you're probably wondering, where is this going? And what does this have to do with either the State of the Union, also called the Joint Session of Congress Conversation, or what I'm referring to as the first hybrid session conversation before Congress, or it can be called many things, I suppose. But it truly was unique. What does it have to do with it? It has to do much. Because, you see, the vaccinations, the conversation about people asking, is this going to change my genetic makeup in who I am? Because of the very fact that now not all of the Vaccine, vaccines were exactly the same, obviously. Of the ones that were available to the public, the ones that did have the mRNA, people obviously had the question, does that mean that when that is put into me, does that mean that I'm going to be then genetically modified? Does that make me a cyborg? Does that make me superhuman? What does that make me? And how long are the antibodies going to be in me? And what does that mean during the amount of time that I have the antibodies in me? So many questions. And that is why it brings up some extremely important ethical questions. And for many people who don't want anything changed with their genetic makeup, it also brings in some truly beyond ethical questions as to why would they take the vaccine. So it begins a very extensive conversation. And for then people who, once they have their questions answered, make a decision to have the vaccine and receive it, it's an important step because they realize that to protect themselves and to protect others around them is such an important step. And when they begin to see that they are healthy, their friends, their loved ones, their neighbors, 
their significant others are healthy after the vaccine as well as before and so many important decisions to make. The significance of important and clear communication as a result of people relaying data and information at the appropriate time has made a significant difference. And so, he did talk about healthcare last night. He did talk about strengthening the Affordable Care Act. There were some significant notable mentions in terms of legislation, and I'll talk about those in a little moment. However, before I get to that, I wanted to talk about something else. Majority of his speech last night was spent on the infrastructure bill. Now, this bill has had many iterations of names because it has so much built why does it have so much in it? It's a smorgasbord. Because it is $1.8 trillion. That's true. It's a hefty, hefty bill. And chock full of structural improvements for the economy, such that have not been seen in decades. Now, I'm not joking about that. It's true. It's actually one of the most robust bills since World War II, and he said that himself. And the reason is that, you know, oftentimes bills come in form, bills come in the form of smaller, approvable legislation, because they can be approved more easily because they're more palatable. But what happens when large, robust bills come before Congress, they're more difficult to approve because there's more in there, which means that there's actually more that people can disagree with. Because as I've said before, a person cannot be all things to everyone. And the reason being is that when people are elected within their districts, within their regions, they have a responsibility to their constituents. And their constituents are in specific regions that have specific specialties of understanding. And that is why oftentimes debates are quite unique. However, having said that, when you do see larger and more robust bills, there is often the ability for people to have lengthy debates about issues that actually have a depth that get to the crux of interesting issues that the country is facing to the degree that and people begin to listen in different ways. For example, and now I'll tell you about some of the legislation 
that was discussed last night of notable mention are Protection of Asian American and Pacific Islanders. We all know that there has been over the the last few months and over the past year, if not before that, because of the historical unfortunate legacy of some discriminatory practices, there have been examples of as I mentioned, discriminatory practices toward the Asian American Pacific Islander communities. And so he put forth what he said, a protection of Asian American Pacific Islander legislation. That was one. He also talked about wanting to put forward a law against gun violence and specified what that would look like. And... He detailed out why that would occur and what the relevance would be of that. And so it's no surprise that there have been many people advocating why it is important to identify why there should be certain restrictions for people, some people not having access to guns. That doesn't mean taking away everybody's gun rights. However, it does mean that certain people who've already been deemed unable to have guns, to not have guns. So tightening background checks, etc. And he detailed that in his speech. And he also detailed how many people have died as a result of gun violence. And one thing that he did differently than other presidents have done of recent history is he did not call out and have in chamber people who have been recently traumatized. He may have mentioned the names, but he didn't have them there in person. And I believe that the reason he did that is he didn't want to re-traumatize and have the people in the room re-traumatized. It is actually understood that sometimes people can be traumatized because of somebody else's trauma. And so that is something that is really important to be aware of, that to be traumatized because of somebody else's trauma can extend the trauma as opposed to helping somebody heal. And that is notable because when somebody is leading, they have to also understand what is of the leading importance to be able to lead knowledgeably. And that's pivoting. He also put forth important to him, and I keep saying him, but we're talking about President Biden in this case. In his speech, he wants to put forward raising the minimum wage to $15. Because there are too many families working at below minimum wage. What he considers to be a living, below a living standard. And so raising the minimum wage to 15 would increase living wages to a standard at par with what living wages would be in today's economy. He also, as I mentioned before, talked about strengthening the Affordable Care Act to a point where it would truly recognize and understand that health care 
being a, a right, not a privilege, truly becomes that sense of responsibility for everything. And then, of notable importance also, he did talk about funding $9 million to the NIH to research for the cure to cancer. Recognizing that it is essential because that has been done in other areas where certain arms of the government have had areas to focus on research. The NIH has not had that particular space to be able to research cures for things such as Alzheimer's and cancer. And that that would be a pivotal point. And so I could go on and talk about more essentialities that were identified throughout the speech. But truly, he talked about many aspects of how including the fact that even in improving health care, there are points that his administration is currently working on, such as improving health care for veterans, which continue to be a priority. So it isn't something where he's just proposing items. His administration continues to work on things. And then he ended his speech with God bless our troops. As he often does. But of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say that also of importance was that he said his priority is also to end the war in Afghanistan, which has continued on for so many years, and to bring our, our troops home before September so that that long, lengthy war can end. And I will return in just a moment for some continued analysis of what last night really brought forth, because as I mentioned, there were so many nuggets in that speech. It really had a depth that has not been seen in years, that you could just focus on the chairs and the drapes and the carpeting, but there was so much more that was happening than just the words and the surrounding environment. So I'll be right back. Thanks for listening. more to discuss from yesterday's State of the Union, or also known as the first full hybrid session of Congress. And there is truly more to discuss. Not only did President Biden talk about wanting to provide free community college, and how important that is, because not only is community college seen throughout the country as a bridging for many students who save so much in the process of as they then take on their studies and transfer to four-year universities, having saved so much in the process, and then complete their studies in half the amount of time and are still successful. Because as the Economic Times have changed from 
were 30, 40 years ago, where people used to go directly from high school to four-year universities. Of course, students still do, don't get me wrong, but what many students have found is that they're able to save so much money by going to a community college and then transfer after completing their general education units and go to a four-year university. The student success programs have been very fruitful in proving that students can be extremely efficient in their learning process. And so when he said that First Lady Joe Biden, Dr. Joe Biden, who is a professor at a community college, is going to take that on as a project herself, since that is one of her specific passions in life. She is a professor at a community college. It will be interesting to see how she is successful in that, because what we saw in the Obama administration, when First Lady Michelle Obama took on the project that was her passion, which was the Let's Move campaign, which had to do with children being active in not only field activities at school, but also in ensuring that there were community gardens in different communities throughout the country, and in going to different communities and talking about the importance of healthy eating. She was very successful because that was a passion of hers as she was Talking about healthy eating, she was talking about the let's play, the 60 minutes a day of exercise. She herself was talking about how she was going to put in a garden at the White House, and she invited people into the White House to help her build that garden. And it was a project that she was very successful in. So it will be interesting to see how First Lady Dr. Jill Biden takes on this project and moves it forward. So the Let's Move campaign is an example of a bright spot that we can say was truly successful because it was mirrored and scaled out throughout the country with community gardens everywhere in the United States. And we will see how the free community college concept, as there are many success programs already documented throughout the country, how Dr. Joe Biden is able to coalesce these successful programs into what she will turn into, her bright spot. And also of notable importance, yesterday in the conversation that uh, President Biden had was when he talked about raising the minimum wage to $15. Why is that so important and why have I mentioned it at least three times already? Well, he did actually want to make it a possibility in what was the huge economic stimulus package that was recently passed, which included the economic impact payments for so many Americans, which provided $1,400 payments. 
And though Congress decided they were not going to include the $15 minimum wage, he conceded that that was not going to be a possibility at that particular juncture. And he said, well, we'll just leave that for another day. Well, here last night in everyone's television set, everyone's radio, everyone's preferred method of news, he decided is the moment. So he will be moving forward through legislative processes to raise the minimum wage to $15. And he will do his utmost best to be able to do that. Because as he mentioned, there are too many families who are working one, sometimes two, jobs to be able to put food on the table. And still, they are not able to provide a sustainable wage. And that is heart-wrenching. So, that is why I mentioned it to Bernie. Now, it was a robust conversation that had much to say. And... When he talked about improving health care for veterans, it's really important that he noted that because, as I mentioned previously, this is something that the administration he is leading is currently working on. And it doesn't go without saying it needs to be emphasized because when he talked about ending the war in Afghanistan, He emphasized the importance of how essential it is to bring the troops home before September. And bringing the troops home is one thing, but it's another thing to be able to have services for them when they come back home. Services that are reliable and that are supportive. And that includes health care. And it also has to be noted that for many veterans, the conversation has been had for years as to the backlog of disability claims, the backlog of services that have not been fully rendered, and so also the need for medical staff that had not been hired. And so it, when he mentioned the improvement of health care, it is a healthcare system that is in need of full quality assurance. For troops that will be coming home that have in many instances been exhausted time and time again from serving many years in a lengthy, lengthy war. And that includes support services for their caregivers, family members, and the support staff of the support services that are there for them. 
And then, of course, being aware of the fact that when people want to transition back into society, they want to be fruitful and productive. So what types of work would they want to do? What would be available to them? And what skills would be appropriate for reskilling? And how does that look in this society? In a post-COVID adjusted society versus a pre-COVID adjusted society. And that has to be all understood. Because truly, our country has changed. Our country is aware of a different responsibility of how we manage our economic, social responsibilities. And that all has to be understood. And so when he ended at the end, As I mentioned before, he said, God bless our troops, which he says often, but he says it quite wholeheartedly. He keeps them all in mind. As should we all. And with that, I leave my thoughts for today regarding the first full hybrid session of Congress, which was led by a conversation with President Joe Biden. Thank you for listening.